I bet that goes through the sound system good. Well, thank you for being here today, and thank you for an opportunity to share with you. My name is Dave Wicks. I'm also on staff here at the church, and uh, one of my missions here is life, life groups. And um, so this is part of our Vital Relationship series, and I want to talk to us again about our connectedness with people. But before I do that, I have just some things I'd like to touch on. Um, some feel-good things, and in a good way. Um, one was took place in our nation's capital. I don't want to go down that meander where, you know, politics. No, not that. But I just, somebody sent us, uh, sent Pat and I a little film clip uh, through a message of a group of people worshiping on Parliament Square. How many saw that? A lady leading in worship. They were singing the song, Waymaker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness. And as they were singing the song, without any big deal, hands were raised. of just a, a worship moment. And uh, the poor police guys are walking through with their flak jackets and all their equipment, just kind of meandering through. And here's all these happy people singing about their Lord and Savior right on our Parliament Hill. And I thought, that's good. And one lady said, let's, let's make that declaration, a waymaker, that he'd make a way for our country. So... Of all the meander that thing has gone through, thank God for every bright spot, and may, it, may there be a touch in the heart of Canada that will cause us to rise and be a better people with each other. And the other thing is, and even to me more precious, and that is some of you in our church family were, were getting messages about praying for a beautiful young lady in, in Uganda. Her team was sick, she had been quite sick, and there was injury, and theft and threat and all these sort of dark shadows kind of around this team, but people kept praying, and if I understand correctly, this morning in Uganda, that little girl that was quite sick and injured preached. I think we should give the Lord a hand, okay? Thank God for young men and women who have courage. And we'll be obedient to the Lord. And uh, I talked to my son about it, you know, trying to get advice from him as a former missionary guy and leader of teams in other countries. And he, he said when she comes home, after succeeding in her mission and completing her mission, she'll be a world changer. Her name is Julia. And we just honor her mom who's here today, I believe. So <laughs> thank you, folks, for letting us be a part of that journey with you. Um, Again, just before I get rolling here, uh, I just felt I wanted to mention that uh, I was at a life group this week, and two of the young moms in the group were having a conversation, and they were talking about uh, Pastor Laura's preaching last Sunday. And the one was who didn't get a chance to see it because she was doing something else during the service, uh, the other one said, boy, you should check that out. And I thought, you know what, really people should. If you, if you have not seen uh, Laura's uh, sermon of last Sunday, uh, you can go on the church site and get it and have a look. Uh, I think it's probably one of those uh, real important sort of milestone moments for Christian parenting. And if, if you want to hear the gospel preached simply, there it is as well. But uh, I think for parents, it, was, it kind of lifted a sense of heaviness that parents may feel about, you know, they, they have to save their kids. No, there's one Savior. It's not the parents. It's the Lord Almighty. And so 
if you haven't seen it, I would just say this too, and then I'll, I'll leave it. But if you're if if you're two parents in the family and you're both involved in this, watch it together. If you have not seen it, sit down, take a notepad, watch it together, and uh, I think you'll find encouragement. The other thing I want to just make a, a little statement here. Like I think sometimes I have to talk to myself about what am I doing and why am I doing it and what what's the point. And I would just say this that just. This will kind of show up in the, I've got three points this morning. This will kind of show up in those points. But um, acknowledge God's big plan. It's our relationships. That's God's big design. It's part of, of what we're about. You'll hear more. I need to embrace my need and the need of others around me. Uh, just look at your neighbor right now. Just, just oh, go ahead, go ahead. Just look at your neighbor and, and tell them, tell them, be forceful, you need me. <laughs> now, just as forcefully say, I really need you. I don't have to preach point two, no, that's kind of it. And lastly, join the tribe. Uh, our life group ministry is always growing and changing and developing. Uh, it's never been an easy fit all the time. There's challenges to it. But I just encourage us, let's, let's make those connections, whatever, however it is, whether it's just uh, let's you and I go for coffee or whatever. Keep making connections. Keep being in the team. Pastor Kurt is going to talk next week about how being in the team, we need to get into mission and get into service. Uh, which is kind of the outworking of being together. Now, before I, uh, I go any further, I want to talk about some books I have here. So I've got three books. I'm going to start with this one. This isn't the first book, but this is Mark Messier's book, you know, an outstanding Christian speaker. <laughs> okay, I'm kidding, but he won a lot of Stanley Cups anyway. But uh, he's written a book called No One Wins Alone, and this book, has unique meaning to me. I spent the entire weekend in Grenfell in the hockey rink. Uh, Friday night, my 12-year-old grandson played on a provincial team. They won. Yay! Uh, then at 10 o'clock in the morning, the nine or eight, nine-year-old played hockey. And for him, it's just a social gathering. You know, he's in net, but he's over here, and he's wandering around. And, you know, he's, he's, when people come in to shoot at the net, he goes out and meets them, you know, like he... <laughs> And then uh, the, the 10-year-old uh, played at noon, and he, he, he got the winning goal. He gets a whole bunch of goals. But there's areas of his game that have not yet developed. If the other team has the puck, he just watches them go by. And then he goes down, and he gets the puck, and he goes down, and he scores a goal. Like, he can just score goal after goal after goal, but he has a one-dimensional hockey game. Get goals. Anyway... No One Wins Alone. Remember, that's going to come back up. And then this book, uh, Tribe. Uh, this, again, these are not Christian books, these two, but I found it interesting that two very different perspective people coming at life have realized that human beings have to be connected to actually succeed in life. And this book was actually written to address people who are struggling with issues of uh, PTSD, and he said they had tribe overseas in combat and in danger zones and come home to isolation. They don't do well with that. They're missing their tribe. Uh, 
And then this book was given to me by a very smart man, uh, Dave Moore, who did a lot of reading and work. He actually sent me a, an email with, a, with another article in it, just sort of feeding me good stuff that will help me in my task. And this book is called The Search to Belong, uh, Rethinking Com Intimacy, Community, and Small Groups. I'm going to refer to those books uh, as we go through this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9 to 12, very, very brief passage, but um, I think some people have actually struggled with thinking, is Ecclesiastes really, has it really earned its stripe to be in Holy Scripture? You know, they think it's kind of an unusual book, and it is. But that passage that Carrie read for us, if, you, if you're looking for the headquarters verses about human interaction and, and human relationship, it kind of nails it. It just really, no, two are better than one. Uh, they have good return for their labor. If one falls down, uh, one, one can help the other up. I heard a story this week about a grandfather who has been in a care facility, and he's, it's not a matter of falling down physically, but he's falling down emotionally. But as you know, there's, there's areas of real isolation because of the pandemic that some of these folks are, that really need somebody to help them get back up there's no one there to do that. The family isn't even allowed in sometimes. And that, that's all changing, and we're not here to wrestle with the protocols. But there, there's been a price paid by people who are alone. And even people out in, in the outside world have lost some of their social connections, and they've had some struggles. And it's always unhealthy when they're trying to do that alone. They don't have someone to help them get up. If, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but one by themselves can get cold. Our hearts can get cold if we're doing life on our own. We need someone, uh, some circle of connection that helps us warm, get our hearts warm again. And then this idea of uh, three strands is not quickly broken. Up on the highway by the hospital is a strange-looking large green building. Have you seen it? It's got a big high front end and then a long green part that goes out behind. I actually knew the family that used to own that way back in the day. They actually came from, the, the wife came from an area that I grew up in. And that used to make steel cables. And the, the thing about a steel cable, those things that are wound tightly together, their strength increases, I think the word is exponentially. Like it's not just three strands, it's the fact that they're tied tight together, it increases their strength. And that is, a, that's a true concept for those of us who are followers of Christ, we we're told this morning we're a, we're a royal priesthood. We're built together, uh, this house that God is building. It makes us stronger. Uh, we'll, we'll say more about that. So my first point would be this. Divine, it's the divine order of intimacy and community. What I mean by that, this is a concept that was birthed in God. Pastor Steve introduced that to us at the very beginning of this series. This is God's design. This is God's plan for us. And as an introverted personality, as someone who can kind of withdraw and become unaccessible, I know how I can drift into isolation just inside my own head. It's a constant thing with me. I fight that battle to stay engaged, to stay engaged. And one of the reasons why I know I should because God said, this is my plan. This is what I want you to do. This is, this is right for you. Uh, Pastor Steve introduced the thought about this idea when he talked about man and woman. First, there was man created. And I, I kind of laughed when I thought about it. I thought, 
It wasn't as if God created the man and, and was watching with the animals and everything and thought, boy, this isn't working. There's something wrong here. No. God had the plan. He said, this is not finished. And he brought another person into the world to complement and to be partner with. As much as that scripture in Genesis 2 is not good for man to be alone, I think the, the principle goes far beyond just the family, far beyond just a couple. Uh, some people choose to live a single life. That's just fine. Scripture talks about that. But nobody should be in isolation. It was God's design that there be uh, a sense of community and intimacy. Uh, it was supernaturally designed, if I could say this, in the brain of God. This is how it's going to work. And if, I find it just intriguing in a negative way how hard the devil works to break that. He does everything he can to divide families, to divide people, to divide churches, divide communities, constantly trying to divide, sowing discord, picking up an offense. You know, somebody does something wrong. And it's just constantly just trying to divide, trying to divide, even in a national level, trying to divide. Uh, that's just the work of the dark side against God's divine plan. Now, in this book, uh, The Search to Belong, he makes reference uh, to another author's work. Uh, I can't tell you the name of the other author, but it's, it's that book written by uh, Joseph R. Myers called The Search to Belong. And he makes, you know, some of you will have already known this, but let, I'll just restate it for you. There's kind of four levels of human connection. One is public then social, then personal, and then intimate. So just where we are right now, okay, people way over here, they're, they can hardly see the people way over here. You may not even know the people over there, and maybe vice versa. You don't even know their names. Maybe you know their names, you don't know anything about them. But just minutes ago, you were all standing together singing the same song in this public space, we were having, in a sense, a relationship because we were together publicly worshiping God. I need public connection. One of the reasons why the family gathers is for that level of connectedness, even with a stranger beside me who's singing the same song in the same heart of worship, we are actually sharing something though we may not even know each other. It, you go to a hockey rink and you're all screaming for the Warriors and, you know, putting pox on the poor Prince Albert Raiders or something, you know, uh, you know, abuse. <laughs> and we're sharing a moment publicly. We don't even know each other, but we leave the rink after winning and we're high-fiving and where'd that come from? We don't even know each other. But it's a public connection. There's a place for it. The people of Israel would stand before God in grand array, you've got to realize that was like a million, two million people in the desert. They're standing in this big circle around the tabernacle encountering God, public, all of them standing together. Then there's social. So after service is over today, some of you are going to get into your conversations. There's always a group over here that kind of stands over here in the alleyway and talks for about 15, 20 minutes. 
And there's some of you here, you'll kind of meet over in here and you'll have a chit-chat. Some are out in the foyer and you're, you're, you're talking. You've gone to a little smaller group, a little more connection, and you're, you're having a, a, a social connection. It's gone from public to social. And then that may progress into personal. Maybe two or three or four will kind of linger a bit and talk about something a little bit closer to the heart, a little bit closer to life, and sometimes a little more moving towards the intimate. Or it may happen at the front later when people, maybe you come for prayer. It comes from public to social to personal, and in God's, in God's timing, in God's direction, it may become intimate, where you're just having a heart-to-heart with somebody about life. Now, here's, just to put you at ease, I hope I'm not the only one that has this. My wife can attest how rude I can be in, in uh, public, uh, like the brick. You know, when a, when, a, when a clerk comes at me in the brick wanting to schmooze me and sell me something, that really doesn't work for me. So, and sometimes she's like, Dave, you know, stop. You're, you're being rude, you know. And so I'm, I'm, but they're trying to get personal and intimate with me when I'm just happy with the, with the public, okay? We're just here in the public. Or maybe you're standing in a lineup and you're going through the till and the lady at the till is telling you about recent surgery she's just had, you know, and you don't know her. Like, okay, this is public, you know, like we're not, oh, anyway, you get the point. We need all the different levels. And we can see it, we've seen it here this morning as we've had church. Uh, it's all part of the game. Even, even in life groups, I've been thinking about this a lot in life groups. Even in life groups, there's, there's a, a timing and a development that it may start with public. And then it becomes social. And it, it tends not to happen immediately. And then it becomes personal. And maybe in God's good time, it does become intimate. But even when it's not, you know, some of us go quickly maybe to to the feeling and the, you know, that real, let's get personal kind of stuff. And some may be, you know, give me, give me another couple of months here, you know, before we go there. Listen, folks, that's all good, okay? It's not good and bad there. It's just it takes us time to get closer and begin to move in. But the thing is, it's all of value. And so life groups may not all fit one particular model, but they're growing together. And as I've had a chance to visit them, I'm seeing the difference from group to group to group. And you know what? Every one of them, I would say, it's a big win. It's good. Keep being together. My next point is the reality of human need by design. Now, we've talked about God's plan, but it goes further. He's actually done some wiring inside of us in his creation of the human race that actually creates, if I can say this, uh, a longing for something, a yearning after something. There's something that's not complete. But it's not just me yearning to uh, have somebody come and help me. There's also a, a, a thing within us that moves us towards others. And if we can deny those things, we can bury them and hide them, but that's, that's not the best idea. It's internal. In, in extreme cases, it can be a matter of survival. It can be that I need support or I need to support someone else. It could even be protection. Somebody needs protection. 
Uh, it could be that you need protection, maybe from yourself, maybe from an unhealthy relationship or something like that, or things like encouragement and so on. It's, it's designed in. Uh, Pastor talked about that. He, he was quoting Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and I, I have, it's, can you, I hope you've got good eyes if you can see this. We have an amazing lead pastor. He's, he's on the level of a Bonhoeffer in many ways, except in his handwriting. So he, he typed out what Bonhoeffer said, and then he handwrote what he said. <laughs> but he's, he, he has this beautiful capacity to, to get it simple and make it. And he said this, God has given you what I need. Do you remember that? God has given you what I need. Uh, he has given me what you need. Um, he designs it to work that way. Je the Jesus inside of you is what I need, and the Jesus inside of me is what you need. Listen, that's right. Steve was right. So was Bonhoeffer. I wonder if Bonhoeffer was reading your stuff, maybe, like, that makes sense. You're pretty old. No. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, Amplified. If you wonder what the Amplified Bible is, it's the exploded version of the Bible. You know, somebody threw in a stick of dynamite, and boom, this, this big thing came out. It's many, many words, and it's, it works off the words and explains the words and digs deeper into languages and so on. He has made everything. This is Ecclesiastes 3.11. He's made everything beautiful, and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find out, comprehend, grasp what God has done, his overall plan from the beginning of time. Now, I, I, I believe with all my heart, I do really believe this, I, I believed it even before I read it in Ecclesiastes Amplified Version, which really brings it out. We were made with a hole in our heart that only God can fill. I don't care who you are, whether you're a follower of Christ or you've never approached that subject in your life. If everybody gets quiet and honest, they realize there's something missing. We heard that even in the Alpha commercial. Some of these highly successful people are saying it just wasn't enough. There's something else that, that I need in my life. And I think it's really true about God. I think God, that's God's design. But here's what I would do, and maybe I'm expanding where I shouldn't really, but I think it fits. He also designed that same thing for other people as well. I have a yearning in my heart for relationship with people. As much as I may fight it or avoid it or feel uncomfortable about it or feel awkward about it, I can't deny it. There's a yearning to be with people. And the same thing, I, there's a yearning within me to assist other people. In the book Tribe, the author tells this story, um, or makes this comment, rather. It's going to be a story I'm going to read in a minute. But there's three basic human needs. This is what human beings have discovered. And I find it hilarious that human beings who... Don't even give God the time of day. Find the same thing that God's already said. Which tells me, yeah, he did design it in. And whether you, whether you own him as your Lord or not, you already have it in your heart. That's why he holds you accountable. 
He said, listen, I put something in you. You can ignore it. You can pretend it's not there, but it is there. I put it there. Uh, every human being to be content needs three basic things. They need to feel competent in what they do. Just watch kids in a hockey game. If things aren't going well, the life's just awful, you know, and so are the parents um, and the grandparents. Um, winning is better. <laughs> we need to be good at what we do. We need to feel authentic in our lives, we need to be real, think that I'm being a real person. This is not me being what people want me to be. This is me being who I am. That's important. And the last piece is I need to feel connected to people. It's just there. God put it there. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when the church was birthing, 3,000 people explode into the church. As one author, one article you gave me, Dave, said that that goes way past something that name tags can solve. <laughs> you know, everybody gets a sticker on their shirt saying, I'm George. You know, if you've got 3,000 new people, how are you going to work that? You know, they're outnumbering the congregation a little bit. Um, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, sharing meals, and to prayer. At the beginning of the church, people devoted themselves to connecting with people. It was just at ground zero, that's how it started, connected to people. And that, that's how it spread, that's how it went all across Asia into parts of Europe and, and into Africa and so on. It, it was people together with people, tight, dedicated to it, committed to being together. I sometimes think when consumerism has invaded our churches in unhealthy ways, we got together to see what we could get out of it. But the biblical teaching would be get together because you're committed to it. You're committed to one another. You want to be together. You're, you're committed to that. In, in the scripture, the, one of the greatest stories about human friendship is the story of the, of the friendship between Jonathan, Saul's son, and David, uh, the man who's going to take Saul's throne eventually. And these two young men have an amazing uh, friendship that actually lived past the death of one of them. So Jonathan and David, David, you know, killed the giant. He became famous. Saul said, hey, ride in my chariot, be in my court, uh, be around me. And then Saul, as he begins to lose his moorings, he turns on David and tries multiple times to kill David. And so Jonathan actually has to step in between, and Jonathan actually works at saving Dave's life, David's life, numbers of times. That must have been a real strain in the life of Jonathan. But when Jonathan saw the quality of David and, and the, wanted to be in friendship, he, he, he took him aside and he gave David his robe, his tunic, uh, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now you say, what in the world? Well, everything that marked Jonathan as a prince of Israel, as a warrior, a son of a king, all those things were in those pieces of equipment that he gave to David. So Jonathan, in a sense, gave away his identity because he so much wanted to be in a friendship with David. And they, they just were so, so connected. And you know the sad story that Jonathan and his dad are going to die in a battle not that far down the road from this time. And 
Jonathan said to David, he said, listen, if something, he must have had some foreshadowing. He said, you know, if, if I should be gone, I'm paraphrasing, will you take care of my family? Jonathan dies. David becomes king. After he settles into his, uh, his throne, um, he, he remembers this commitment they had as friends, and he said, is there any of Jonathan's family step, still living that I, that I can find and care for? And they found this one guy, and I have a hard time saying this. If you've got a gap in your teeth like this, you can't say Mephibosheth without hurting yourself, okay? <laughs> or spraying someone uh, nearby. That's why we wear masks, people, because... Uh... <laughs> anyway, he finds this boy... This young man. This young man is crippled in an accident, fleeing from the aftermath of the war that killed his father. He's running, their family's fleeing, trying to get away. Something terrible happens, he's crippled. And so he's destitute, living as a cripple. David finds him. And you gotta know, folks, this this when I tell this story, it always touches me because. The lay of the land in those days with humanity was that if I become king and I had adversaries to, my, to try to get the throne from me while I was you know, in that process, when I become king, I kill all those people. All that family of my rival will die so they don't come and try to get my throne. So you can imagine what's going through the mind of Mephibosheth when he finds out that David's looking for him. This could be bad. David finds him and he said, everything that was your father's and your grandfather's, all the houses and land and servants and things, it's back to you. And by the way, I want you to come and be at my table all the time. You, I want you in my circle. And I will care for you. I'll have your back as long as you live. Where'd that come from? Friendship. Connection. That's the level of connection that we need to have. In the book Tribe, this is one of the this is part of the reason why I would even use this book this morning. The guy is not a Christian in any way, shape, or form, as far as I know, not certainly not in the book. But as a young man, he's hitchhiking across America on his way to California. And he ends up on the side of the highway at the entrance to Gillette, Wyoming. Now I've been in Gillette, Wyoming many, many times. I've stopped there for gas. That's Depending which way you're going to the Black Hills, which is a motorcycle paradise place, uh, you often will go through Gillette, Wyoming. And I got to tell you, in, in around Gillette, Wyoming, there's a whole lot of nothing. How many have been in Gillette, Wyoming? Anybody else? Is it barren grassland? Yeah. <laughs> there's a huge coal mine right on the outskirts of the city, and that's what kind of makes it all work, is this coal mine. So... The young guy's standing there, and he said, I was waiting for my next ride, and he said, I got a backpack full of all my camping gear and stove and tents and, you know, everything he needs, he's got with him. He's from the East Coast. He's on his way to California. He said, cowboys are going by and throwing beer bottles at me. <laughs> that, Welcome to the Wild West. And uh, anyway, he isn't hit, luckily. But anyway, he sees this figure coming up out of the town, about a, just about a mile distance, coming up the ramp on the freeway to where he is, and he's a disheveled, poorly dressed, kind of a wrecky looking guy. And the young guy said right away, he's getting suspicious and he's kind of like, who's this guy? What does he want? And the guy comes right up to him. His hair is greasy and he's, he's kind of a mess. He's got this little box in his hand. He said, where are you going? 
He says, I'm going to California. What do you got for food? And he thought, okay, he's going to try and take my food. So he lied to the guy. He said, well, I got some cheese. And the guy says, that's not enough to get to California. I was supposed to have a shift at the mine today, but it didn't work out, so here's my lunch. Sandwiches, bag of chips, and a pop or something like that. And then the guy turned and walked away. I guess he was living in a car, a derelict car. So the young guy stood there, and he's just feeling guilty that he misjudged the guy. You ever, you ever misjudge anybody? <laughs> That's never a happy human thing to do. And he lied to him. He could have shared lunch with him. And he said, he made this comment, and it stuck with me. He said, that stranger took responsibility for me and walked out a mile to give me a bag of lunch. It's in us, folks. God designed. I was thinking about this this morning on the drive-in. We often hear of, you know, non-Christian people doing all kinds of kind and charitable deeds for people. And we, we always kind of struggle with that, like, oh, they're probably just faking it, or they're doing it to get noticed by people. Maybe sometimes those things are true, but you know what? It's in us. Christian or not Christian, God's written something in our hearts, and part of it is that we would be uh, our brother's keeper. Last point. How we flourish. Mark Messier's book, No One Wins Alone. Boys on the bus. That's why the Ramblers were... Ramblers. I'm still living in Eston. That's why the, the Oilers, we lived in... We were in Edmonton during the Stanley Cups as working with Teen Time. So this is book written by Messier. It's a hockey book. It's not necessarily a Christian values book. It's a hockey book. It's about a hockey team and how they had success, how we flourish. There's one goofy story in the book. I'll just tell you that quick. Um, so these are, he's 19 years old. And him and Kevin Lowe, Dave Semenko, and Kurt Brackenberry are playing with the Oilers. Just a bunch of young guys, full of juice. They had a big game, and then they went out and partied all night. Didn't get to bed in time. They were in their motel rooms, and all of a sudden, about 10 to 11, the phone rings. It's Glenn Sather, the coach. Anybody practicing today? Click. Practice was at 11 o'clock. They jump out of bed, get their clothes on, get a taxi, scream across town, get, get dressed in the rink, run out onto the ice, and the practice is going on. Sather stops the practice. He said, okay, Dave Semenko, leave your skates on. Up in the very back row, there's a place up there. Go sit by yourself. Messier, over here. Same thing, in that corner. Brackenberry over here, Kevin Lowe over here. Just wait. We'll call you when we need you. Practice finishes. He said, okay, boys, come on down. They all come down. Now, if you're a, a skate person or a hockey person, you know that a 200-pound man on a pair of sharp hockey skates in cement is not a good mix. Not a lot of edge left when you get down from the back stand of the stand. And he says, okay, the rest of the team, go and sit on the bench. You guys, let's do some laps, high-speed laps. Let's do some back and forth, you know, cross the rink, skid to a stop back and forth, back and forth, with no edge on the skates, didn't work all that well. They're crashing and burning, making fools of themselves. He said, we were never late for practice again. And he wrote this. 
As we went through training camp and started the season, we bought into uh, all-for-one team-first mentality. It paid off. We took off on a hot streak and never looked back. We won 19 more games than we ever had before. Ended up with 37 more points on the season. Our team scored 417 goals. No team had ever scored more than 400 before. Everybody, listen to this, everybody knew their role. Everybody was happy. There were no clicks. We were one. Boys on the bus. Ephesians says this, so Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Unity. Attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the ways blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to, in every aspect of, to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I'm about finished, worship team, so get ready. And let us consider Hebrews 10, 24, 25, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up the meeting together, all, and all the more so as you see the day approaching. And I want to just go back to that opening passage in, in, in Ecclesiastes and just that, that first verse. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. And I want to say this morning as I'm going to conclude now and turn it to the team and then someone is going to close the service. But I want to just say this this morning. Going back to my opening comment about you may have something that somebody else needs and somebody else may have something that you need it's a bit risky to suggest this to such a wild bunch of people, but I would just say this. If God, if God, not you making it up, but if God has put something on your heart for somebody, before you leave the building today, go and, go and share it. We have an altar ministry that will be happening here in just in minutes, but if you've got something inside, maybe it's going to be a phone call this week even, just saying, give it away. Trust God to use you as he designed to bless somebody else. God bless you.